You are listening to episode number 63 of the Secondary Science Simplified podcast. Y'all, if I've said it once, I've said it a thousand times. I am so grateful to each and every one of you who reaches out with your questions and where you need support as a secondary science teacher. It's because of you that episodes like this one exist. And so I'm so grateful for those of you who have taken the time to do that. A few months ago, one of you reached out seeking support as a secondary science teacher with ADHD. And so I posted on Instagram for any leads and I got connected to Brie, who graciously agreed to let me interview her for today's episode. Brie Plyler is an ICF certified life coach serving women and men with ADHD who are ready to shift from a life of constant panic to living on purpose. She is the founder of Current ADHD, a private coaching practice and online community. As an entrepreneur with ADHD and a relentless optimist, her passion is sharing the message that struggles and success go hand in hand. Prior to her diagnosis at 34, Bree was a teen mom who attended two universities and a community college before finally graduating from Greenville Technical College with an associate degree in marketing. Additionally, she held over 20 W-2 positions and started several businesses that ultimately fizzled, never understanding why her outcomes didn't match her ambition and intelligence. She says that being diagnosed with ADHD finally gave her the keys to start the car she'd been attempting to hotwire her entire life. Now, equipped with the tools that work for her brain, she's built an Instagram community of over 100,000 where she helps others with ADHD learn to love themselves and their brains. She believes that the key to success is learning to observe your struggles instead of judging them. Bree is a recent empty nester who lives with her husband and two dogs in Simpsonville, South Carolina. In her free time, she collects hobbies, but especially loves outdoor activities and supporting the Clemson Tigers. So if y'all know me, you know we hit it off right off the bat because I love my Clemson Tigers. You guys, I learned so much from this conversation. It's going to be one that I just keep thinking about because she shared so much help. I cannot wait to share this with you. We talk all about markers for ADHD, actionable tips and strategies for teachers with ADHD, but also specific ways we can serve our students with ADHD, whether they have an official diagnosis or just present some of the markers. I cannot emphasize enough how valuable I feel like this conversation was for me as an educator to have. And so whether you have ADHD or not, I know that this conversation is a worthwhile listen for you. So I hope you'll give it the time that it deserves to listen to it. So without further ado, let's dive into my interview with Bree Plyler, the current ADHD coach. This is Secondary Science Simplified, a podcast for secondary science teachers who want to engage their students and simplify their lives. I'm Rebecca Joyner from It's Not Rocket Science. As a high school science teacher turned curriculum writer, I'm passionate about helping other science teachers love their jobs, serve their students, and do it all in only 40 hours a week. Are you ready to rock the time you spend in your classroom and actually have a life outside of it? You're in the right place, teacher friend. Let's get to today's episode. All right. Hi, Bree. How are you? I'm well. I hope you are. Thanks for having me. I'm so glad you're here. Okay. So I would love if you would just introduce yourself and kind of share your career history because you aren't a teacher, but there's a really specific reason why I wanted to have you on the podcast today. So why don't you just tell us kind of your background and then also kind of what led you to doing what you're doing now? 
Yeah. So my career history could be the entire podcast. <laughs> so I'll, I'll spare you. Um, I'll just say that prior to my ADHD diagnosis at 34, well, prior to being 30 years old, I held over 20 W2 positions from the time I was 18 to the wow. time I was 30. Yeah. I didn't know what was wrong with me, quote unquote, mm-hmm. wrong with me. Um, so I bounced all over the place. My um, educational background is in marketing, but I worked in retail and teaching outdoor school and all of the things. Ultimately, my husband and I started a company and I helped him with our construction company with plans of going back to school to become a therapist. But my therapist said, I think you should be a coach. And I thought at the time I was incorrect, but I thought that coaching was knockoff therapy. I thought it was people who wanted to be therapists, but didn't want to go to school. So after my diagnosis, my husband and I both hired ADHD coaches. And then I I learned more and enrolled in coaching school and started a business. Wow. Okay. So what led you when you were in your 30s, mid 30s to reaching out and finding a diagnosis or seeing if you were needed a diagnosis? Yeah. So ultimately what pushed me over the edge, my daughter's stepmom was researching ADHD for her two younger boys. And I was kind of helping her with that research. And as I was reading, I was like, wait a minute. Mm -hmm. My entire life, there had been this really odd disconnect between what I knew was my level of intelligence and my outcomes. Mm -hmm. So there were so many things that just didn't make sense. And I was ambitious, but also lazy and super smart, but wasn't accomplishing the things that I felt like I should accomplish. And so I'd been in therapy for a while, but no one had really picked up on it. And when I started doing this research and seeing how it presented in women, I was like, I need to look into this more. Mm. I mean, how frustrating of a feeling that must be. You're saying your whole life, like knowing like this disconnect between what you know you're capable of and kind of what what you're able, like you said, your output. And so I'm so excited you're here. I reached out to you because... I know you have experience working with teachers specifically, and um, and you even said some secondary science teachers too, which I'm so excited about because I had a teacher reach out to me via email saying, hey, like, do you have any advice for a teacher like me who has ADHD and how I'm supposed to do this job? And I was like, I have no clue. And so I, you know, posted on the internet, like, someone help me help her. And my friend Ashley connected us. And so that's why I'm so glad you're here because- I just know there's going to be so many people listening who are going to hear what you're saying and be like, wait, wait. Like, Mm -hmm. I feel like ADHD diagnoses, especially for women, is kind of like therapy now for us millennials. Like, no one was doing it 20 years ago, but now we're all doing it. I saw a meme the other day that was like, I've apologized more to my children this morning than my parents have to me in my entire life. In your entire life. (laughs) And I was like, wait, this is kind of true because therapy. All of that to say, I'm just glad you're here because I think this is going to be really, really helpful for a lot of people listening. And even if the people listening don't have ADHD, we all have students that do and have students like you that may not have a diagnosis, but we're like, we see what's happening here. Mm -hmm. And so maybe to help us, like as we get started, what are some markers for a listener kind of to look out for? I know you mentioned some from your own experience, but- Sure. Maybe we can look to help us self-diagnose, but also maybe as we're looking at our students and we can kind of point out, oh, maybe this is what's happening here. I would say when you're looking at someone else, so when you're looking at your students, there's the obviously the traditional, they can't sit still and they're constantly restless and fidgety or talkative. But I would say for those students that you look at and you feel compelled to say, they're so bright if they would just apply themselves Mm. or they're just lazy if they would just pay attention. Right. So those students that you 
maybe have passed judgment on. Mm. Maybe second guess what what might be causing that? Because quite frankly, I'm I'm in the camp, and this is probably my most controversial opinion. I don't think lazy's real. Mm. And if you think about, and that that's something that we call ourselves too. Like you spend your entire life thinking you're lazy, right? There's even a book called "You Mean I'm Not Lazy, Crazy, or Stupid." Mm. But if you were lazy, you wouldn't be judging yourself for not doing a thing, right? Totally. That's such a good point. Okay, I that is really helpful. I'm already like, I already feel like if I was going to get back in the classroom full time, I would approach it so much differently now as a parent. But now even just like thinking through that, I'm like, dang, I'm thinking of students right now in my head Mm -hmm. that I'm like, I bet this may have applied to them. Okay, so then what would you say then? Those are some markers. Do you think it's like one of these things that we should push our students to, or should we push ourselves to get an official diagnosis? Or do you think it's something that's like, you don't need to be official if you feel like this sounds like you, what, what so, kind of would your thoughts be there? Yeah. So specifically for, for personal story, mm-hmm. if you have access to a diagnosis, I always recommend it because there are so many different conditions okay. that can present in similar ways, mm-hmm. right? So everything from mood disorders like depression or anxiety or bipolar disorder to complex PTSD, Mm -hmm. um, trauma that you experienced or something more serious. Uh, I hate to to even say it that way. Something more physical, right? So I always recommend folks pursue an official diagnosis if they have access to it, because you want to make sure that you're treating the correct root cause. And who would they, is that be something you would get from your like primary care physician? I always say start there because it's different depending where you are, not only in the world, but across the country. So I always recommend talking to a doctor or a therapist that you already have a relationship with and saying, what do I need to do to pursue this or to learn more about this? And there's a great um, online assessment on attitudemagazine.com. They have what's called a symptom checker. And it's really cool because it doesn't just ask ADHD specific questions. So it's not like leading questions, but it's called a symptom symptom checker. And you kind of move through their questions. And at the end, it'll say, here are some conditions that you might want to look into. So when I did it after my diagnosis, just to make sure like I understood, I trusted the the assessment. Right. Yeah. Right. It told me that I should look into sensory processing disorder and ADHD. I'm like, yeah, check, check. So that's a great tool to look through to make sure that when you go to your doctor, you have some real talking points. Okay. I love that. Okay. And so you said a couple markers, maybe we could see in our students and I know those would apply to teachers as well, but is there anything you can think of specifically from a teacher's perspective, since I know you've worked with teachers where a teacher could say, Oh, this is something that I see that I struggle with as a teacher that maybe it's actually related to ADHD. Yeah. The big ones for me, task initiation. And so most of the time with teachers, I hear it around grading, right? Mm -hmm. So constant overwhelm, and that overwhelm typically comes from two things. It comes from our inability to initiate tasks and not understanding why, but it also comes from the way that we perceive time, which is typically incorrect. Okay. So we look at a task, a project, really like grading, and because we perceive time really in now or not now, we believe that we have to do all of this grading right now. And so our brains lock down and it becomes overwhelming because we can't reconcile. I know I can't grade all these papers right now. So that means I don't have time. Mm. As opposed to just saying I'll grade as many as I can in the next 10 minutes and see what happens. Right. Like your brain's not taking that next step. Absolutely. So we don't naturally prioritize. We don't naturally break projects down into tasks. Mm. 
in a way that someone who's farsighted, their eyes don't naturally adjust to, to see the things, right? So they need an external tool. But what happens is we don't often recognize what it is that we don't do well. So overwhelm, constantly feeling like you don't have time and struggling to initiate tasks. So if you've called yourself, I just procrastinate. Why do I procrastinate? I know I need to do it. I know I would be less stressed if I would just get it done, but I just keep procrastinating, right? That's a, a hallmark symptom. Wow, this is, I'm so enlightened. I'm learning so much because I find this so interesting because I've always seen, you know, I think about my husband, he like is a dreamer and he's a big picture person, but if he, and so he doesn't do great with like breaking things down into steps. Like I, I, I love a good spreadsheet. Like give me a project. Let me break it down to steps. He doesn't do good with that, but he doesn't feel overwhelmed. If he needed Mm. to sit down and do it, he could do it. It's just more like he's just constantly like overflowing with ideas. But Mm -hmm. I think that differentiation, that's that word you said with the overwhelm, like it's just, Mm -hmm. it's just too much. That's a really unique marker. Okay. So now, if those are some of the markers, and I'll definitely link that tool you mentioned for just kind of looking through those things. Sure. What would just be some strategies and like really, really actionable tips for a teacher who has ADHD? And I'm just so thankful that you've, I know you've coached so many different people, but I'm so grateful you have experience with teachers because I feel like we're an uncared for <laughs> group of mm. people. And we're such an important group of people because we raise the entire future generation in our classrooms. So help us Help the teachers listening that may have ADHD who are listening or who maybe know they do. What are some things that they can do to help with that overwhelm? Yeah, the first thing that I would say is get comfortable asking the question, what is hard about this? Mm. Because in coaching, the key first step is evoking awareness, right? I'm not a consultant. I don't tell people what to do. So the first step is identifying what is what it is that's hard. And probably you've tried the same thing over and over and over and over again. Right. So getting comfortable saying, okay, what sucks about this? Mm -hmm. Right. But going back to this idea of breaking things down, start to ask yourself, is this a project or a task? Mm -hmm. Because so often we put things on our list. Laundry is a big one. And with teaching, grading is a big one. Right. So instead of having grade questions one through 10 on this particular class or cohort, you might have grading on your to-do list. And so changing that project of grading to a specific task can be really valuable. The smaller you break down the project into tasks, not only does it give you the ability to see the tasks so that you can put it on your calendar, but also the smaller the task is, the better our chances of estimating appropriately how long it's going to take, which is a big problem. Anywhere that you can reduce steps or decisions. Decision fatigue is so real. It is. And it's especially challenging. I do an entire week in my group coaching on making decisions because it is so hard for those of us with ADHD because working memory. Mm. So forgetfulness is huge for us. And decision making is having to hold a lot of options in our brain. Right. And also prioritizing is really hard for us. So anywhere that you can reduce decisions. So this is going to look like creating templates for yourself. If there's an email you have to write frequently, the next time that you write it, just copy and paste it and save it in a Word document, mm-hmm. right? Any time that you can make a decision for yourself once that can be used again can be so powerful. Many people with ADHD resist structure and routine because they hate being told what to do. And that can be true even for ourselves because routine means that we're telling ourselves what to do. Mm-hmm. I've reframed that as a routine or a structure is a predetermined decision. Mm-hmm. So anytime that you can do that in your life will save you a ton of heartache. Yeah, I like that. I'm even thinking too with our students, 
like thinking about how I've assigned projects and been like, it's due in a month and that how that's just like the worst thing I could do for my students with ADHD instead of giving them like a do this first and then come back to me and I'll tell you what to do next. So you don't feel overwhelmed by this. A hundred percent. I made some notes when you, you sent the questions. I love the questions that you sent. What can you do to serve those students and visual cues and giving clear and specific instructions, right? Our brains, especially at that age, they're not fully developed. They cannot effectively prioritize if they haven't been given the proper support to develop their executive functions. Mm-hmm. And they probably haven't because we're just learning how to do that now. Right. So visual cues and true for yourself, right? If you have grading, some way to visibly see your progress, we need momentum mm-hmm. to move us forward. And the other thing that I would say is don't wait on motivation. If you have said to yourself like, well, I just can't get motivated or how can I get motivated? Let that go. Action precedes motivation. Mm. That's a great point. Okay. So what would a visual cue look like? What could be an example of a visual cue for a teacher who's struggling with this? Yeah. So the first thing that comes to mind is back to grading. If you have physical papers, I know that's not necessarily the way things are these days, but separating out 10 papers Mm -hmm. or 10 tests that you're going to grade so that your brain doesn't shut down looking at the entire stack. Because you may say, I'm only going to grade 10 and that's all I have to do. But you see that entire stack and your brain's like, nope, I have to do it all. So separating out, this is what I'm going to do right now. And that's going to feel more manageable. Um, Something else that might look like if there's, you know, a particular, I don't know, um, exercise you want to do with your students, just put that on your laptop. Mm-hmm. right? In front of your face. So object permanence is something that we struggle with, right? Out of sight, out of mind. And that's related to our working memory struggles. So keeping things in front of your face in a, a an organized way, right? Clutter can really make things hard for us. And also we tend to be a cluttered bunch. Mm-hmm. So beginning to work on that, but keeping things in front of your face, using spiral notebooks or planners so that you can keep it open to today's date. If you make a list of things you want to do do with your students and then you close that notebook and stick it in your bag, you're probably going to forget that that exists, mm. that list exists. Yeah. I've, I always had a, like a visual agenda on my board of like what we're going to do. And I had it yes. in bullet points and it was for me to reference because I had mm-hmm. five classes. I couldn't remember what we were doing. And so before I left for the day, like on a Monday before I left, I would write that out Tuesday's agenda. And so then when I yeah. walked in, I could be like, okay, this is what we're doing. And one thing I always try to do, so you can tell me if this would be helpful or not. I always like to change up what we're doing in class, like every 10 to 15 minutes. But is that helpful or harmful for someone with ADHD to be constantly transitioning? Yep. It's so, so hard to say. So transitions are really freaking hard for us. Yeah. And also so is being bored. Right. So it's tough. Another thing that I wrote down is asking your students, how can we, how can I support you? Right. And I know, especially in the high school, you have so many students, mm-hmm. so you can't ask them individually. I, I know what teachers are faced with and I, I cannot imagine, but maybe just asking at the beginning of the year or check-ins, ask your classes, mm-hmm. what would you need to learn this material better? Right. Or what support do you need? What feels hard about this? The way that we operate our classroom, maybe. Right. Because gamifying things can be huge. Using timers, creating a sense of urgency can be huge. And that's going to serve all students, not just students with ADHD. But yeah, transitions suck, man. Task switching is hard for us. So you might lose students if you're transitioning too frequently. Mm -hmm. Because by the time they've processed where you are, you may have gone through material and they, they didn't even get it. 
Totally. Okay. That's good to just keep an eye on. And I, I'm assuming too, if like you're a teacher who struggles with this, really thinking like, and just self-reflecting on, okay, is it more helpful for me to change it up or do we need yep. to like settle in on some things? I'll link to you in the show notes. I have some classroom visual timers that I love to put on my yes. board. They're free. Some of them are too distracting because they're like swimmers in a race. And so the kids mm. will all be like betting on it. So you kind of yeah. have to read your class. Other ones are just like a sand timer. So it's not as exciting. So it's not as distracting. Tie timer is a great tool also. Okay. I'll link that timer. one too. Yeah. I think having the visual timer is really helpful. It's a, it is such a hard balance too, because like I love to use timers to keep the class moving and keep them motivated. But then you also know like, okay, is that giving the student who struggles with anxiety, anxiety, because there's a timer. But it's, mm-hmm. you know, I try to hold that loosely in the sense of like, I'm putting this up here for all of us, but if we end up needing more time, I'll give it to you. But right. I'm just trying to, you know, it's so hard to balance all the things and all well, the different people. Right. And how can you serve everyone at once? I would say that if, if time allows, just allowing a little bit of buffer between mm-hmm. transitions, right? Like whatever that is, two minutes to transition instead of just bouncing from thing to thing. But gosh, I, I don't know how you do it as a teacher. Because That's, I think that'd be easier if you have a 90-minute class. You can kind sure. of put in that little buffer period, which is nice. But yeah, when you have a 45 or 50-minute class, it's like all hands on deck. I always tell them, I'm like, go to the bathroom before my class because we don't have even time for – there's no time for potty breaks. Like we got to keep so going. Hard. It is hard. Okay, so any other strategies or like tips you have for a teacher with ADHD in general? And then we can kind of zoom in more specifically. So, so going back to the idea of making sure that projects, not tasks or tasks, not project. But I think the biggest thing that a person with ADHD diagnosed or otherwise can do is let go of the shoulds, Mm. let go of this idea that I should be able to quote unquote, should be able to do it like normal people do. Right. Perfectionism, all or nothing thinking, and that shame. I'm fully in the camp, but that's more debilitating than the actual ADHD symptoms. Mm. So if you can let go of that and lean into, I need tools and using the tools, you're going to get so much farther. I I always pose the question to my clients. Do you judge people who need glasses because their eyes don't naturally see well? Right. Mm. And they don't. Right. But we judge ourselves because we need, you know, timers or because I need fidgets putting down the shoulds, putting down the shame and picking up tools that actually work for you is the key to success. So if it's fidget, if it's post-it notes, if it's asking for help, utilize those, delegate where you can delegate. And again, as a teacher, I have no idea what, what resources you have available. I know they're not enough, Mm -hmm. but anywhere that you can delegate, ask your students for help, right? Mm -hmm. Give them some ownership and take it off your plate. Absolutely. Okay. So now for secondary teachers specifically, you know, I'm thinking middle school, but especially high school. Cause that's, that's my people. I feel like all teachers have so much on their plate, but secondary teachers, especially like you have your regular lesson planning, grading, parent communication, classroom management, like we all have, but as secondary teachers, we're also often expected to run clubs, coach a sport, run the prom planning committee that I was on, you know, be in charge of student council. So are there any recommendations for balancing all these like extracurricular responsibilities too? Cause that's something that's really unique to secondary teachers. Yeah. So I talk about this a lot with my clients. It's being able to break down into tasks and navigate all the different projects. So a lot of people love apps like Asana or Trello, Trello, however you pronounce it. However, because of the object permanent stuff I have found that I often struggle with those types of apps because it exists in the ether mm-hmm. and I can't look at it. So I've actually found, and I know that this is a podcast and no one can see it, but I've found a 
physical planner mm-hmm. in, that breaks down the projects. So you can have, you know, clubs, grading, lesson planning, labs, like we've talked about, and you can have your individual tasks. So using some sort of project-based system, again, it's about visual cues. Get it out of your head and onto paper because when you can see it, you can manage it. Mm. And so whether that's post-it notes or a whiteboard or this planner that I'm talking about or just a notebook, getting it out of your head and onto paper, being able to physically manipulate it is is key to not letting it overwhelm you. I like that. Just kind of even doing like a, a word vomit on paper just to see 100%. it. hundred percent. I love yeah, stuff Yeah, I on call paper it a brain too. dump. Yeah. I've so many people have told me like I got to get on Asana or Monday or whatever, and I'm like I just like I got my little notepad here, and it just works for me. I like to ch- it feels so good to cross it off with a pencil. Yes. Okay, so that's helpful. What about another thing which would be even more specific? We're going to keep narrowing in. So an an additional responsibility as a secondary science teacher is we have to plan, prep, and execute labs, and I think. You know, everyone would argue what's the hardest part, the planning, the prepping, whatever. I think it's the executing because, you know, you're leading these people through something. You're also worried about their safety. You're having to Mm. run around and check on everybody. Like, are there any, you know, specific recommendations for executing and managing labs? That's a hard, I feel overwhelmed by it as someone Mm. not diagnosed with ADHD. So I can't imagine what that would feel like. Yeah. So I'm going to sound like a broken record. Templates and visual cues. So don't reinvent the wheel at every lab. Don't add more on yourself by having to sit down and remember what are the safety things, right? What what do I need to remember to share with the students? So create a template for the questions you want to ask, for the reminders that you want to give. And I know that might sound obvious, but I think we get in this in this loop again of like, oh, I should be able to remember that, or I've done this enough that I'll remember. A great example of that for me is when I send body doubling out to my clients, I just expect that I'm going to remember all of my clients. I'm not, I'm just not, not in that moment. Maybe two hours later, I'll be like, oh yeah. So just knowing that you're not going to remember and creating those tools ahead of time and think about your sensory issues. So if, if having students in the lab is really overwhelming because it's too loud or it's too bright. There's a great tool called loop earplugs. And so they are noise dampening. So you can still have conversations with people around you, but it reduces sensory input, right? And just being really transparent with your students because then you're modeling. I have one client who's a secondary teacher and she's gotten so comfortable sharing with her students like, hey, this is why I'm doing it this way because this is hard for me. And so if it's hard for you too, you're not alone. Can you right. imagine what a gift that would be oh as a God. student to hear your teacher struggling with something? I would give anything to go back and do that. And I, I share that with all of my clients who are teachers. Don't hide this from your students because they see you as a mentor or as someone they look up to. And so if they don't ever see that this is hard for you, then they're going to believe that they're broken mm-hmm. if it's hard for them, right? So even just saying, guys, I know it's really loud in here. And if that's hard for you, I get it because it's hard for me too. Even if you're not doing anything about it, right? Just saying it out loud can be so empowering. I think it's so important for us to be humble ourselves, to be vulnerable in front of students so they see us as people, like you said. You know, I think a lot of us are afraid of failing or like a lab messing up and then us looking stupid. And Mm. it's like, no, just be honest. Like, what, teaching AP biology was the best challenge I was ever given because it forced me to like take off the facade and be like, I literally don't know the answers to your questions. Like 
I have no clue. I'm studying this the night before. Like, let's Google this together or let's figure this out together. Yes. And I just feel like, and I even think too of like the year that we were going through adopting our son and it was a very emotional year. And I really had to open up to my students because there were days that I was having to step out to take a phone call with a social worker or whatever. And I would come back emotional and it served my students so much better for them to Mm -hmm. see. And I have, it's actually pretty cool. I have, um, we like recently sent out Christmas cards and I now have three kids and I have some old students that are now like adults, which is insane. And I had three different girls that I used to teach back in the day, reach out and say, it is so amazing to see your family now knowing Aww. where you were and not being there that year. That was so hard when y'all had the infertility and all the stuff. And I was like, "How I'm so glad I shared that with them so they could see that I'm a real human. And also like, as they're now, you know, getting married and starting families, like they know someone that was in their life as an adult who struggled with these things. And so I feel like, yes. especially with the ADHD, I feel like, like you said, I think give it, you know, five to 10 years, it's not going to be as like, no, not taboo. That doesn't sound like the right word, but it'll feel more. I'm hoping it'll feel more common. Just like therapy now is like a very common thing. It's not like people are scared to say like, I see someone or whatever. I love what you said too, about not being ashamed about it. Like, and not, and letting go of the ideal we have for what a teacher should be. Like, I think we, the the hardest thing as a teacher is when we're trying to be someone we're not because you're almost like performing mm-hmm. on stage every day. And so that's exhausting, like trying to be a type of teacher you think you need to be when really you just need to be yourself because there's going to be so many different students. I always tell clients, what is the outcome that you're trying to achieve? Mm. Because if you're moving through and you're making decisions based on how you feel you need to look, if it's about status or how you feel like you need to show up, then you're probably not moving toward your outcome. So if you get clear first on what's the target you're trying to hit, right? Mm -hmm. I'm trying to serve my students. What does that look like? What does success look like? Mm -hmm. And if you, because another thing that's really hard for those those of us with ADHD is aligning our goals and our actions. And we make it even harder on ourselves when we don't clarify those goals. And I don't like the word goals. I typically use targets or Mm -hmm. outcomes. But if you get really clear on, okay, what is my target? My target is to serve these students as best I can. My target isn't to win the teacher who appears to be the most put together. Yeah. Right. Like that's not the goal. It's so true. I, I, yeah. I mean, I think that's, it's, it's all, I'm like just so grateful for everything you're sharing here. Yeah. I think it's just so important to really, like you said, consider what's the outcome You don't have to win teacher of the year. You don't need every single student to like be an A student. You know, what's kind of the goal and really thinking you can always get to the outcome or the target or the goal a different way. There's not one way to get to it. So really letting go of like, just because the teacher next door grades every single thing doesn't mean you need to. Mm. Like you don't have to, or I'm thinking about labs and the noise, like noise is really, really overwhelming to me. I think maybe not in the past, but now that I have three kids, four under, like I'm overwhelmed by noise. I always say like, Mom has four brain cells and they can't work when you're all screaming. Uh But I'm thinking of labs, like even just dividing the groups in half and saying, okay, half of you get to do the lab today. The other half are going to work independently and then we'll switch just to like decrease the level by 50%. Well, and not only does that decrease the level, but it gives you an opportunity to have more meaningful conversations, right? Right. And so, yeah, maybe you get through half the labs in a year that you want, but you're going to get through them so much more meaningfully and like intentionally and who can like they're not going to look back and be like we only did five labs instead of 10 or you know no one's going to know so i really like that idea you said of really identifying your target or your outcome and then making a plan to get there 
but like not feeling like it has, it doesn't need to look how everyone else's plan looks. Nope. That's no. So and, and in addition to identifying your targets, then get clear on your barriers. Mm-hmm. So identifying what's hard, what's standing between you and your outcomes. Is it that it's too loud? Is it that you have too many things to grade? Is it that you are reinventing the wheel every time you give a test or create your lesson plans, right? So once you can identify what it is that's hard, then you can actually take action to make it different. So often we're just like, this sucks. This is so hard. I'm, a, I'm so overwhelmed. I need to fix it. But that's all so vague. There's no real action to take, right? You need a formula. And the formula is this is hard because blank. And that blank tells you what action to take next to make it less hard. Mm. That's really helpful. Okay. So before I circle back on anything we can do for students, I had one more question specifically for the teachers who struggle with this. And that's another thing I think that's unique for secondary is so many of us are teaching three or more preps and they're, and we're lesson Mm. planning for three more preps and they're entirely different subjects. You know, I feel like there's nothing similar about like necessarily like chemistry and, you know, astronomy. I mean, I'm sure we can find some overlaps, but they're just so unique and we're having to like study and prepare all these different subjects and be like studying for a Spanish, German, and French class that you're teaching. It's a lot. So are there any tips maybe that are specific to lesson planning for all these different content areas? Yeah, I I cannot imagine. I actually wrote down in my notes, I swear Rebecca didn't tell me to say this, (laughs) outsource, outsource Mm -hmm. whenever you can. I, when I first started my business, I was caught in this loop of, I have to create everything Mm -hmm. because if I don't create it, if it's not unique to me, then I don't get to use it. I actually, I'm not a teacher and I have purchased things from teachers pay teachers Mm -hmm. for my younger clients Mm -hmm. there. And and I know that it's, that's not always an option, but find partnerships, right? Find other teachers who you can partner with, use body doubling or co-working right? And again, I'm going to go back to decisions and templates. Anything that you can do to reduce having to do the same thing again. And I know this sounds like a broken record and I know it sounds so simple, but I guarantee there are teachers listening right now who start over every single time. And part of that is because maybe it hasn't occurred to you that that's what you're doing. And part of it may be that the idea of creating a template is overwhelming in itself. Mm -hmm. But Instead of thinking like creating a template is a separate task, copy and paste. When you do something and think, oh, I might use this again, create a space where you can save that thing, right? Mm -hmm. And again, don't try to do it alone. Community is critical when you have ADHD. Body doubling is this idea that like when you were a kid and you said, hey, come sit with me while I do my homework or come sit with me while I clean my room. There is no shame in saying, come sit with me while I lesson plan, right? Come sit with me while I grade these papers and you guys can work independently, but it's related to mirror neurons. Sit beside someone and it keeps you on task and it helps you move through things. And you set an intention. I'm going to grade 10 tests while we sit here together. I love that. And I, I mean, I agree. I think it's uh, so many people feel like they shouldn't buy resources because it's part of being a teacher. I should be able to create all these things. And I'm Mm. like, no, there's a difference between a curriculum designer and a teacher. And I don't think I really realized that until I got my master's in curriculum design. And I learned so many things that I never learned in undergrad or in my teacher Mm. certification program. And I'm like, no one, like, this is like a whole entire separate job. This is a job that you're doing too. 
you're literally doing a whole second job. Like, and I feel like there should just be no shame in that. I say all the time, like, you know, if I ever get thrown a class prep in the classroom that I've not taught, like I'm going straight to someone else, especially just Mm -hmm. the first year, just at least. And that's the other thing too. Like this doesn't have to be forever. Like get started with someone else's things and like get used to kind of those other parts of your job. And then if you want, if, if lesson planning and curriculum design lights you up, perfect. But like, just because it doesn't, doesn't make you, I feel like we just have this thing that like, we have to be able to lesson plan well and curriculum yep. design to be a teacher. And those aren't even the same job. Like I always try to say, I'm doing all of this background work so you can actually focus on teaching because that's a whole separate yes. thing from like writing a test or coming up with a lab. It's just different. And so, and I think so often, and this is true in any career, but especially when you have ADHD, this idea that if I can do it, then I should. Mm. And those of us who were diagnosed later in life or didn't have the support earlier in life, we spent our entire life trying to prove that we're not lazy, to prove that we're capable and competent. And so outsourcing or delegating or asking for help can can feel like it's furthering this narrative that we're not capable, right? And so that goes back to this idea of putting down the shame and saying like, just because I can do something doesn't mean I have to. That, I mean, that is a good challenge for me too. I feel that way as a mom. Like I have to, because I can do all this stuff, I should do it. And I have to, where it's like, you know, if even someone else can do it 70% as well as I can, that's still like a passing Uh effort. So let's just accept that, you know? Okay. So any other tips for teachers before I ask you again about students? Yeah, I do have one more thing that I wrote down and it's really, it goes back to visual cues get creative with how you name things just for yourself. It doesn't have to be for your classroom. So if it's the names of your classes, if it's your lessons plans, if it's specific aspects of your labs, almost personify them, right? Give them really, really ridiculous names because that, that that's a tool in a memory tool for our brains. So if you get into the lab and you've, I don't know, you've named some specific piece of equipment, Oscar, I don't know, Oscar the Grouch, because it's your least favorite equipment in the room. Not only will that trigger your brain, oh yeah, I need to grab this thing so that you're not frantically always looking for something last minute, but it also just kind of takes some of the weight off. So creative names and personifying either emotions or things that you hate about your job can be a really valuable tool. Sounds silly, but try it. No, give me another example of that just for, so I can understand. Yeah. So Um, I did have one client who struggled so much with grading that she ended up naming grading Gary because saying that she was going to identify time to grade or schedule time to grade was so overwhelming for her that she started putting it on her calendar as hanging out with Gary. And that took away some of the weight. Yeah. So it took away some of the weight for her. So now grading wasn't this daunting, never ending task or project. It was a standing hangout date with her friend named Gary. And so making it silly can take some of the weight off and and it can make it just a little bit lighter. And I like thinking of it like, like you said, a standing date, like Wednesdays are my standing date with Gary. This is the day I grade. Like, and then like that deciding once of like, it's not like every day I'm like, Oh, do I need to be spending time with Gary today? It's like, no, you decided that Wednesday's the day that you do that. And so that's what we're going to do on Wednesday. That's really helpful. Okay. So any last tips for, like we said, I know not every teacher listening has ADHD, but we all have students that do, whether they know it or not. So any other recommendations for serving our high school students with ADHD? I think 
oftentimes, you know, we think of all these strategies that would be for like little kids with it. Mm-hmm. You would hope that they would get diagnosed when they're younger, but you know, that's not the case. And you I mean, you're the professional. So you know how many of those, you know, tips we see on Pinterest for students with ADHD in elementary school, how many of those kind of translate to high school? Do you have any high school specific tips? Kind of what would you be your recommendations there? So there's a couple of things that I, I wrote down that I wanted to make sure that I emphasized. First, familiarize yourself with possible accommodations and be prepared to honor them. Because some of the accommodations may not make sense to you if you don't have ADHD and you may feel like they're not necessary. Or you may see a student who's begun to thrive and be tempted to say, oh, they don't need these accommodations anymore. They're doing so well. Yes, they are doing well because they have their accommodations. Please don't take those away from them. The other thing is to not don't shame someone. Right. Going back to that thing that we said at the beginning, try not to call someone lazy. Right. Or use that language in the classroom. Try not to say if you would just pay attention or you're so bright. I just love to see you apply yourself. You could reach your potential. Right. Try not to use that language. There's a statistic that says students with ADHD receive something like 20,000 more negative messages in their lifetime than their neurotypical peers. Those messages become internalized. That's how we begin to believe that we can't, right? And praise. ADHD students thrive off of praise. So if you have students that make things particularly hard for you, instead of using, I mean, obviously discipline is necessary, whatever that looks like in your classroom, but look for ways that you can praise them and give them clear and specific instructions. Just like with a toddler, this is true for myself. Instead of saying, you have to stop talking, right? Mm -hmm. Tell them when they can talk again, right? Or give them opportunities to verbalize or verbally process what's happening for them. Or when you see them hold back, when they really want to talk, be like, hey, I saw that. I know how hard that Mm -hmm. was for you, right? Um, And so if you really want to change things for those students, take an angle of praise and identifying their strengths, even if it's hard to find. I love that. I mean, that's a good challenge for me. I am my three-year-old daughter has a lot of personality and I never want, I feel like I got in the habit of the things that I was saying to her would be interpreted as her constantly hearing I'm too much. And I don't Mm. want her to think she's too much, but at the same time, I do have to balance like my own sensory overload. And so I've tried to give her space like, Oh, your voice is so strong and loud. Can you, you can use it as loud as you want upstairs. But if you're going to be in this room with mommy and the baby, can you use a quieter voice like right now type yes. thing? Because yes. it is like you have to balance, you know, honoring them and who they are and not putting these messages on them. But at the same time, you also have, especially, you know, if you have your own things, you have your own like sensory needs and stuff. Yes. And so balancing that. But I like that idea of don't just tell them, stop talking, say, Hey, can you hold that thought? until I'm done yes. explaining the instructions and then yes, it's all you, you know? Yep. Yeah. I had a teacher once. And so I, I adopted this. He would always say, you know, questions, comments, personal problems. And it was just always kind of funny because every once in a while someone would ask, share a personal problem that was completely yeah. unrelated and we'd all laugh, but it was great because after we did anything, he created that space, like questions, just general comments that you've been what holding in you need to get to out. Say? Yeah. Like anything you need to say, now's the time. And I liked him building that in. Okay. Anything else for our students? Um, Thinking about stimulation options, right? Mm. So whether, even if fidgets aren't an accommodation, if there's a way that you can incorporate into that into your classroom, I think it can be so valuable for folks with or without ADHD. And there are a lot of quiet and non-distracting options too, right? Um, So one thing I have under my desk right now is an acupressure mat. 
So maybe putting bands on your desks so that they can fidget with their feet, right? And then I that, love that's the less bands. visible and not yeah, same. Or if students, if it's an option, if they can stand up, right? Maybe they can focus. And I think it's important to know that just because a student's doodling or not looking at you, that doesn't mean they're not listening. Maybe that's what they need to do in order to be able to listen. And so if you need to have a conversation with that student, do it in private and say, hey, would you like me to check in with you if I think that you're not with me? Or is this how you learn, right? Because for some people, my husband, for example, who has ADHD, if he's staring out the window, he is watching his own movie. He is not hearing your words, right? Mm -hmm. And so it would be helpful for him to be like, hey, Brax, are you with me? But for me, if I'm playing with a slinky or drawing on my paper, I'm doing that to keep my hand busy so I can hear you. Mm. That's I love that goes back to what you said in the beginning, like checking in with the student. Don't always like assume the worst, especially if they don't right. have a diagnosis and you're seeing right. them just staring off and you're thinking like they are just not with me. You know, going to them individually and saying, Hey, like, I like that. What it would be helpful for you? Because this is yeah. gonna flush itself out differently in all of our students. hundred percent. That's so yeah. interesting how you and your husband handle it so differently. But that's so different. Really interesting. Okay. Anything else you want to add before we do our last question? Yeah. My, my last thing that I wanted to add was something I've already mentioned and I'll say it again. Ask yourself the question, what's hard about this? If you can't remember anything else, just drill that question into your head, right? We default to our most basic training. So don't beat yourself up if you try new tools and you don't remember them in the heat of the moment. It takes time. Mm, that's a really great help. Well, I'm so glad you were here. I feel like I just learned so much from you and I know my listeners will too. But so before I let you go, this is kind of off topic, but you may want to bring it back in too. I like to ask all my guests if there's one way you've simplified your life recently, and this could be, you know, a life hack, a tool, you know, something you've said no to, something you stopped doing, whatever, you know, anything you're doing to make your life more simplified right now. Yeah. The physical thing that I've done is I've switched almost all of my organizing containers in my home to clear containers and I've gotten rid of lids wherever. No lids. Interesting. No lids. When you have ADHD, every step matters. I even got rid of the lid of my trash can. I got one of the trash cans that has, looks like a restaurant trash can, a tall cylinder. So it has a lid, but with a hole in the center, Mm -hmm. because even a step as simple as pressing a lever to open the lid could cause us to throw the trash on the dining room table as opposed to throwing it in the garbage, right? So I've just gone around my house and said, where can I reduce steps? I love that idea. That's fascinating. Okay, so I mean, this has been so helpful and I know people are going to have follow-up questions. So how can my listeners stay connected with you if they want to you know, learn more about what you do with coaching or just have questions or anything like that? Yeah, so you can find me on Instagram, Current ADHD Coaching. That's where I hang out most of the time. Um, and my website is currentadhd.com. I exist on some other social medias, but Instagram and my website are the two places that you can find me. Same. Always. I feel like my other social media are just there to like hold the name, but like right. I live on Instagram and on my website. So that's me too. Well, thank you so much, Bree. I'm so thankful for you sharing your time and just all your wisdom. It's been so helpful. Thank you for having me. I love it. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode and my conversation with Bree. I wanted to share a few things before I wrap this up with you that happened, you know, after our conversation. So first, after I finished recording, I asked her about batching because that is something I talk 
a lot about on this podcast because it's a strategy that has served me so well in simplifying my life is to batch things. So doing a lot of the same thing at once. So, I mean, if you've been here at all, you know, I love it. And so I asked, you know, is batching something that would help someone with ADHD or not? And she kind of said, if it serves you, it serves you. She felt like her initial response is batching is kind of something that's, she said, an advanced level course for someone with ADHD, but she said that doesn't mean it won't work for you. You know, we talked about, we, I, I love to batch my meal prep because in the season that I'm in right now with meal planning and grocery ordering, I have to do it all at once because for me to go to the grocery store with three kids, four and under, I cannot do that more than once a week. Like it's too much. So I sit down once a week. I plan out my meals for seven days. I make the grocery list. We go get it all. But for her in this season of her life, she can save money and do better meal planning if she goes, even if she has to go every day. She said that's better for her. But at the same time, you know, we talked about, I have a friend with ADHD who has to have a laundry day. Mondays are her laundry day. She does all the laundry on Mondays and that's easier for her. Whereas for me, I like to do a load a day. And so it's kind of interesting to see how certain strategies may be helpful for batching and others may not be. And it may be dependent on your season. So she said, really, really consider if it try something, if it serves you to batch it, like if it serves you to decide once that Mondays are your laundry day, that's the only day you do laundry. And then every other day that frees up that decision from you. Like you don't have to decide on Wednesday if you're going to do laundry because you know you're not, then go for it. But if it doesn't serve you, then don't do it. So you might have to do a little trial and error with that. So I just wanted to touch on that because I do talk about batching so much and I didn't know if that would be overwhelming or helpful for those of you out there listening who have ADHD. And then the last thing I wanted to say is I also polled my audience on Instagram and I asked, you know, hey, if there's anyone out there with ADHD who's a teacher, what are some strategies that have helped you just to kind of bring in as many voices as possible to this conversation? Because I really wanted to serve those of you who are listening. And so I'm just going to read out some of the things that I collected from y'all and your responses as to strategies that are helpful for you. And it's funny because So many of these are things that Bree said. So I'm just going to kind of reinforce those. So one thing that I think 50 people said is setting a timer for in-class activities, but also the tasks that you're doing outside of class for yourself. Because like Bree mentioned, you know, the concept of time and having enough time can be really challenging with ADHD. So setting timers is extremely helpful. Saying like, okay, I'm just going to do 10 minutes of this and see what happens. But then even when you're in class doing that as well. She said ADHD can cause you to hyper-focus and not realize how much time has passed as well. And so that can be something that's really helpful when you're in the classroom is to set those timers. And again, I'll link those visual timers that I referenced because they can be helpful for you and your students. A ton of you just emphasize staying organized and making lists. Like Bree said, taking things that feel like projects and dividing them up into tasks feels a lot less overwhelming. A lot of you mentioned too, having your materials prepared in advance. One of you said that you would always have a list of like things that you have to do in advance for the next day so that you knew what to do. I recommend making kind of like a check out list of what to do before you leave. And then as part of that list, kind of make a check in list for the next day. So have a list of things like I'm going to do these four things before I let myself leave the classroom. And then also putting a list on your laptop or whatever it is where you first go to when you first get to your classroom on your desk, that's like your check-in list. So when I get there the next morning saying, okay, these are the things I'm going to do next. I, I even find this helpful in my current season of life because I'm working in really small chunks of an hour here, 30 minutes there. And so sometimes it can be hard for me to know when I sit back down at my desk, okay, like what, what do I need to do now? And so before I leave my desk, 
leaving a check-in list. Okay, this is what you're going to get started with right now. Having that visual cue Brie mentioned of like, okay, I'm going to go ahead and pull up the test that I need to be working on writing. So it's on my laptop. So when I open my laptop, that's the first visual cue I see. So kind of having things prepped in advance, having your checkout and check-in list can be really helpful. A lot of you really emphasize simplicity and sticking to a consistent routine and expectation with students, but also with yourself. So many of you said, don't be afraid to ask for help. Brie really emphasized outsourcing. And so don't be afraid to do that. Another one of you mentioned to help grade with tests. You have created standards-based grading rubrics, and it just has like a checkbox of your most common comments or errors so that when you're grading something, you're not constantly having to restate the same thing. You can kind of just check, you know, show all work or whatever it is. And then you can attach it to things that your students are turning in, like have them staple it in, or, you know, you can attach it to tests as you send them back. It'll save you time, ink, and explaining over and over the same things that you might be saying. I love that idea. And that's something, if you make those kind of rubrics for your test questions, you could use those year after year. That's another thing Brie talked about was having those templates. Another one of you really encouraged not sitting and grading, spreading out and walking as you do this. And I don't know if you all follow Michelle Brasso. She's Miss Brasso's binder on Instagram. She has, she does this all the time. If you go to her Instagram, I'm sure you'll see a bunch of, you know, time-lapse videos of her doing this while she grades. And so I really think that's a great visual tool. I'll see if I can find one and link it in the show notes of Michelle doing this. so You can see what this means of the stand-up and grading. Another one of you said making sure to clean your desk right before you leave for the day. That's really helpful so you don't walk in and just see clutter and feel overwhelmed. Deciding once on routines, like Bree said, having routines for yourself and your students, that, that goes along with how I'm always saying, you know, decide on your procedures and teach those to your students. A lot of you said walking around and not sitting down can really help with kind of having something physical to do. A lot of you mentioned putting your task list, not just on paper, but on sticky notes. And I love this idea of just picking up one, doing it, and then throwing it away. And that kind of being a visual cue for you of like, you can lay out all the sticky notes on your desk at the start of the day. And then throughout the day, as you have pockets of time, just pick up one. It's the one task you're going to do and then throw it in the trash. I thought that was a really cool idea. I'm currently looking at an entire wall of sticky notes I have where I've taken the chemistry curriculum I'm writing and I put it into tasks. And as I finish them, I peel off the tasks. And it's that is so helpful for me too, just to have the visual representation. So really leaning into visual cues. And then the last recommendation one of you had is keeping track each day of what you got done in each class so you can know the pacing for next year. So maybe one of your check out tasks for the end of the day is just to kind of jot down what you got through that day just to give you an idea since quantifying time and how long things take can be it's, it's challenging in general, but it can be extra challenging if you have ADHD. That was one of the recommendations one of you shared, which I thought was really good. I know for me, I had a very simple numbered word doc, literally just a list. So number one represented day one of the year. Number two represented day two. And I would just jot down there what we did each day just to give me an idea for the next year up for pacing. I also think too, if you have a paper planner, Always write in pencil, I recommend, or erasable pens. But then I would also go back with like a red pen and go over my pencil and say like, we did not get to this or this took twice as long as I thought. And then the subsequent year, I could look back at that paper planner and have a realistic idea of how long things took. Because the pacing and timing of a class is hard, (laughs) no matter if you have HD or not. But I, I can't imagine if you did have HD, how much more overwhelming that could feel. And so those notes for yourself will be really, really helpful. 
All right, that's it. I hope this was a gift to you. I hope it was a tool for you. I know it was so much help to me. And if it was, if you found this episode helpful, please reach out to me on Instagram and let me know and or reach out to Bree directly. You know, I'll link her contact info and all the links she mentioned and I mentioned in the show notes, which can always be found at it's not rocket science classroom.com slash episode 63. But I know that, I mean, I love hearing from y'all directly and I know Brie would love it too. If you reached out and said, Hey, I listened to this episode. And if you have a follow-up question, I know she would love to answer it. So don't be shy. We love hearing from you guys. All right, teacher friends, that wraps up today's episode. If you're looking for an easy way to start simplifying your life as a secondary science teacher, head to it's not rocket science classroom.com slash challenge to grab your classroom reset challenge. And guess what? It's totally free. Thanks so much for tuning in and I'll see you here next week. Until then, I'll be rooting for you, teacher friend. <laughs>